0: All right, so I am going to be ambitious. I'm just going to read this whole passage, all 16 verses. It's going to be a lot to take in. If you feel like your head is spinning when we get to the end, that's OK. That's completely understandable. Um, just do your best to receive it right now, and then we'll process it. So uh, John 14:15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So I knew when I started this series that at some point we were going to have to talk about the Trinity. Um, Because the Trinity is all over the farewell discourse. Um, If you have uh, been a part of a Christian church for a while, chances are you've heard about the Trinity. You know that Christians historically have understood that there is one God But that one God is a relationship of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, you might be thinking, do we really need to talk about this? Because this seems just confusing and esoteric. It's something that the human mind can't even really grasp. But here's the thing. Jesus seems to think that it's worth talking about because He's just got a few more hours before he's going away to be crucified. And what does he decide to talk about? He talks about the relationship between himself and the Father and the Holy Spirit. So clearly Jesus thinks that this is something that we should know about. If you think of all of creation like a theater stage, it's as if Jesus is giving us a peek behind the curtain back into eternity past a glimpse into the being of God. And the insights that he has to give us tell us something about what God is like and about where we came from. Let's look real quickly at some of the things that Jesus has said so far that have to do with the Trinity. He said, when I am glorified, the Father will be glorified in me. He said, you believe in the Father, believe also in the Son. He said, my Father's house has many rooms. I go there to prepare a place for you. In other words, I am going to the Father so that you will have a way to get there too. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. There we've got all three, right? That's the first one with all three. I will ask the Father, the Son will ask the Father, he will send the Spirit. Similarly, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Here's an interesting one. The Father is greater than I. I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. All right, I know that's a lot to take in, but I'm just trying to remind us. There's a lot in here, right, about the relationship between father and son. Not a ton about the spirit. There's a little bit about the spirit. But Jesus talks a lot about his relationship with the father. And if I were to summarize what he says, he basically says that the father and the son are one and also distinct from each other. Right? There's lines that you can look at that emphasize oneness, and there's ones that emphasize distinction. So, you know, oneness, stuff like I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's actually one point in John's Gospel earlier where, where Jesus just flat out says, I and the Father are one. And there's another point in John's Gospel where he says, Before Abraham was, I am. And that, the, those words, I am, that is a reference to the holy divine name, Yahweh. And the crowd that Jesus said this in front of, they were just stunned that he would say this, that he would say that he pre-existed Abraham, that he would put himself on equal level with God. They thought it was so blasphemous that they picked up stones to kill him right then and there. Right? So all these sorts of statements emphasize is oneness, right, with the Father in heaven. But then you have these ones that seem to emphasize distinction. I am going to the Father. Right? The Father is greater than me. I love the Father. I do what the Father commands me. And then you have lines like this one, which seem to be both about distinction and oneness. It's not me speaking, but the Father in me. It's all very confusing, right? So there's this unresolved tension in all these things that Jesus says about his relationship with the Father. Oneness and distinction. And the thing is, this tension is there all the way at the very beginning of John's Gospel, the first verse. If you've been at St. Paul's for very long, you know that I always love to go back to this verse, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. Now, I know that's confusing because it uses the word, word. But rest assured, you can substitute the word, word with the Son. And this, the meaning is preserved, right? Because he says, the word became flesh, it made his dwelling among us, and that was the glory of the one and only Son, right? The word equals the Son. I won't get into right now why the Son is called the Word. Too much detail for now. But, so we can say, in the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was God. How can something be with something and be that thing at the same time? Right? You've got distinction the Son was with God and you have oneness, the Son was God. And what I find so incredible is that when John wrote his gospel, he chose to start by proclaiming something incomprehensible. He doesn't try to explain this. He doesn't try to rationalize it. He just says it. Something that would lead the average person to go, there's got to be a typo here. The Son was with God, and the Son was God. This Jesus, whom the book of John is all about, is one with God. He is the one through whom all things were made the creator, and at the same time, he is in some way with God, distinct. We have to remember, the first Christians were Jewish. right? And in Judaism, probably the most important affirmation was that there is only one God. In the ancient world, most cultures were polytheistic. They believed in multiple gods. But Judaism was different. Judaism developed as, into monotheism, which believed there is only one God, one creator, only one who should be worshipped. Anything else is idolatry. Right? And yet, even though monotheism was so important to them, they worshipped Jesus. The first Jewish believers worshipped Jesus, and they didn't see a problem with that, because they recognized that Jesus is God, And yet, they also recorded these words for us that sometimes emphasize a distinction between the Father in heaven and Jesus the Son. And so as Christians processed all this, they came to believe in what we now call the Trinity. They came to believe that if we peek behind the curtain of creation, what we will find is a God who is eternally a loving relationship of three persons. He is one, and he is three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a a picture here that might help you to conceptualize the Trinity. And notice what it says is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. Each one is fully God. For any of my millennial peers, God is not like Captain Planet, right? where the three different, well, in Captain Planet there's five, but they all come together and it's like one plus one plus one plus one plus one one equals Captain Planet. It's not like that with God, where it's like the Father is one-third of God, the Son is one-third of God, and the Holy Spirit is one-third of God, and then they come together to make God. It's not like that. Each one is fully and completely God. but the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. They are also distinct. Now, if all that just sounds like nonsense to you, keep in mind we are talking about God. Right? So it would make sense that God would be hard for our human minds to comprehend. And you know, maybe the fact that the Trinity is so hard to understand is evidence that human minds did not come up with this. That this is actually the result of us trying to process and understand revelation from God. I I, I can't think of anyone who would come up with this. <laughs> it's too confusing, right? But if you want something that might help you a little bit how can god be one and three at the same time this is something that i find helpful i've used this illustration here before we have to think about what we mean when we call god one what do we mean by oneness you see normally when we refer to something as being one we're talking about a physical object that has distinct boundaries right like this is one clicker it's a chunk of stuff and it has distinct boundaries right but God is not a chunk of matter. God is not a chunk of stuff. God, is, God transcends the physical world. right? God created the physical world. So when we say that God is one, God's oneness can't possibly be like a physical oneness, like the way we're, we refer to an object. right? It has to be a spiritual kind of, of oneness. And when you think of it that way, It's not hard to understand how God could be three and one at the same time. right? God's oneness is a spiritual oneness. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are a perfect relationship of love. They work together. They have the same will. They have the same purpose. They have the same mission. They never disagree with each other. They are as one as can be. Now, why does any of this matter? It matters, again, because the Trinity reveals something about what God is like and about where we came from. And what it tells us is that God is love. All of creation comes from a loving relationship. One way of putting this is, God is loving relationship, and this world came into being through that loving relationship. God has never been lonely. God wasn't just sitting there, you know, being like, oh, I need to create the world because I'm so lonely. It was never like that. It's never been like that. God has always eternally been a loving relationship, and creation is an overflow of that loving relationship. When we don't love each other, it's like we're living in opposition to ultimate reality. It's like swimming against the current. You know, that's why we live in when we live in pride and selfishness and greed, it destroys us because we're living in opposition to the fundamental nature of reality, which is loving relationship. All right. Let's shift our attention from the Trinity in general to the Holy Spirit in particular. Okay, The Holy Spirit, the most overlooked member of the Trinity. Uh, Jesus says that even though he's leaving, the disciples are not going to be like orphans. right? Because he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, that word advocate, it has the connotation of uh, somebody who defends you in court. So what Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit is going to be like your defender. He's going he's to be there to, to uh, help you out in the world and defend you against the attacks Of the world. And what I hear Jesus saying here is something like Because of my death and resurrection, you are going to have access to a spiritual life that was not accessible before. Uh, You notice that he says, Because I live, you also will live. So the way I think about this is it's like there's this channel that was blocked. And Jesus' death and resurrection removes that block from the channel. And now the Holy Spirit can flow freely to any of us who believe in Jesus and provide us with the life that is truly life. Okay, So when Jesus says, because I live, you also will live, I don't think he's just talking about like physical life. I think that's part of it. But he means, like, the life that is truly life, spiritual life, spiritual wholeness. He says, you're, He's saying, because of my death and resurrection, you are going to have access to the kind of life that human beings have always been meant to have, union with God, relationship with God, that is going to become available. And it's, it's available because the Holy Spirit is going to flow through that open channel to you. Right? But there are parts of this passage that indicate that even though the channel has been open, even though the life is accessible, a lot of people aren't going to realize it. He says, the world cannot accept the Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him. The channel is open, the life is available, but are we experiencing the Spirit? That's the question that we have to ask. Are we experiencing the life that Jesus suffered and died to bring us? Well, if you're wondering, okay, how can I accept the Spirit? How can I receive the Spirit? I want to offer three suggestions based on what Jesus says in this passage. How do we receive the Spirit? Okay? And. Most of these suggestions are going to talk about hearing a voice. And I just want to clarify from the outset when I talk about hearing a voice, I don't necessarily mean literally hearing an audible voice in your head. I'm talking about kind of like a a tug in your heart, something that you sense within you. You know, some people might call it an, an inner monologue. Okay? I mean, it. It might take the form of an audible voice, but generally, I don't think it does. Okay. How do we receive the Spirit? Number one, pay attention to the voice that calls you to remember and follow Jesus' teaching. Pay attention to the voice that calls you to remember and follow Jesus' teaching. The Holy Spirit is always trying to get us to remember and do what Jesus said. Right, As Jesus says, the Spirit, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So if you find yourself in a situation, maybe where you're filled with anger, and then Jesus' warnings about anger pop into your head, that's the spirit who's trying to get you to listen, trying to get you to act in line with what Jesus would want. You may have noticed that three times in the passage that we, we read today, Jesus talks about the relationship between loving him and keeping his commands. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So the Spirit is always inviting us to obey Jesus. To obey his commands. And what's the the biggest command that Jesus gives? As I have loved you, love one another. So the Spirit is always inviting us into a life of love even if you're not familiar with the Bible at all, even if you've never read uh, a single verse of Jesus' teaching, I bet you've probably felt that tug from the Spirit in your life. It's a tug towards generosity, humility, mercy, forgiveness. And if you read the Gospels and you learn about Jesus, I think you will realize That the Jesus you are reading about is the embodiment of that tug, that whisper that you've heard throughout your life, calling you to those things. That's the Spirit's voice. Pay attention to that. Second, how do we receive the Spirit? Pay attention to the voice that welcomes you into God's family. Pay attention to the voice that welcomes you into God's family. Notice that Jesus said, after talking about the Spirit, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. The Spirit's voice is the voice that says, you are not an orphan. You're not an orphan in the universe. You are a beloved child of God. Listen to that voice. You know, that voice, it is often drowned out. I think it's often drowned out even... For Christians, right? Uh, For some of us, it's drowned out when we just think about the unfathomable size of the universe, right? Billions of light years large. And, And when we think about how much time has passed in the existence of that universe, and we think, how could there possibly be a God that cares about us? We must be orphans. You know, And then for others of us, the voice is drowned out because we just see the suffering and the evil in the world. Disease, death, war, natural disasters, birth defects, death. And we think, there can't be a God who cares about us. We must be orphans. You know, for some of us, the problem is different. Maybe we believe that God exists. We don't really have a problem with that. But we have a hard time believing that we're actually accepted by God, that he actually loves us at all, right? We feel estranged from God. And we can't stop thinking about our sins and our failures and our shortcomings. And so we think, I must be an orphan. God must, must reject me. But the Spirit's voice is the voice that keeps saying, God has not left you as an orphan. You're not alone. The the Apostle Paul says that the Holy Spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. In other words, the Holy Spirit cries out to God, Dad, loving parent. I'm confident that even if you doubt God's love or you doubt his existence, at some point you have felt that voice in your spirit calling you, saying, I love you. I want you to be in my family. Don't suppress that, listen to that, receive that voice. Finally, one more way to receive the spirit Pay attention to the voice that welcomes you to be at peace. Right after saying that he's going to send the Spirit, uh, Jesus says, my peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There's this direct link between the Spirit and peace coming to us. We live in a time where there is an epidemic of anxiety. And, of course, there's a lot of things to be anxious about. The world is filled with evil and suffering, and we shouldn't pretend otherwise. That's the truth. And anxiety and fear is a very natural response to our situation. And yet, the Spirit's voice... Keep saying, do not be afraid. Do not worry about tomorrow. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? The Spirit reminds us Jesus overcame the power of sin, the devil, and death. He has made a place for you in the Father's house. He has called you his own. He has not left you as an orphan. So do not fear. Receive that peace. Even if you're in the midst of chaos, pay attention to the voice that says, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And then finally, I'll close with... One more suggestion for receiving the Spirit. This one isn't specifically in this passage, but it's definitely in the Bible. It's a simple one: ask, <laughs> just ask. Uh, in Luke chapter eleven, verse thirteen, I love this passage. Jesus is talking to uh, a group of people, and he says, "You know, you those of you who are fathers, you all know how to give good gifts to your kids." He says, though you are sinners, you know the difference between a good gift for your kid and a bad gift. So how much more is your Father in Heaven going to give good gifts? And then he specifies the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So Jesus basically promises, if you ask, if you really want the Holy Spirit, the life that is truly life, the life that he suffered and died to bring you, you have access to it. Ask. And then pay attention to the voice that does those things, that calls you to remember and obey Jesus' teaching, that welcomes you into God's family and assures you that you belong to him. And that offers you peace. So I thought we could close today um, by just asking. Asking for the Spirit. So let's pray. Lord, we want to take you up on that promise. We ask you to give us the Holy Spirit. We want to experience the life that you came to bring. We want to receive all the benefits of what Jesus has done. Remind us of Jesus' teaching and help us to obey. Remind us that we're not orphans, but your children. Bring us the peace that only you can bring. Free us from our fears and anxieties and bring us into fullness of life. Fill us with love for you and love for one another. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the loving relationship that created us, sustains us, and saves us. Amen.